Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's guest is Jennifer Bruce. Jennifer is an independent quality consultant with over 20 years of industry experience in establishing and implementing quality systems for pharmaceuticals, over-the-counter drugs, biotech product, products, dietary supplements, and cosmetics. Over the course of her career, she's faced multiple challenges in the clinical manufacturing arena, including unreported serious adverse events, data falsification, and potentially unsafe products being approved for use. In 2019, she left the industry and launched her own consulting business working exclusively with natural products. Jennifer is a lifelong student of self-transformation, a published author, expressive artist, instructional designer, and modern-day medicine woman trained in trauma-based expressive arts, rebirthing and divine breath, shamanic journey work, holistic nutrition, advanced gestalt therapy, somatic explorations, active meditations, and embodied mindfulness. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. I'm thrilled, Jennifer. You know how much I love you, and you're, you've <laughs> got the goods. <laughs> I think we should start with just having you do, now Jerry just did all that, but I like a quick bio in your words. You did, when we talked, it was just a powerhouse hearing it come from you. If you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, no problem. You know, I came from one of those generations where it, it was just, it was, it was not a choice. I was going to go to college. And so, you know, my early years were very focused on academics. Um, I was involved in sports, all kinds of things like that. Um, I was a misfit. Uh, I was quiet. I didn't really fit in. Uh, I preferred the natural world. I was really interested in insects and animals and flowers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like I had to I really had to force myself to fit into the expectations that were evolving around me. Um, around the age of eight, I had a very traumatic experience in the third grade, which I won't go into right now, but what ended up happening was I ended up becoming really, really depressed as a child and, and, and almost flunking the fourth grade. And so what ended up happening was they went ahead and tested me and I, and I tested gifted and they put me in one of those gifted programs. And that was both a blessing and a curse. But I went through a profound personality change in, in so far as when I hit fifth and sixth grade, it was almost as if I became a different person and I was going to be the student body president and I was going to be this and I was going to, you know, I was going to take over the world. And there were a lot of ideas and obsessions rolling around in my head that were not organic, that didn't not match the child that I used to be. And as I kind of, as I progressed through the food chain, um, you know, I just, I was kind of apathetic. I mean, by the, by the time I was done with high school and it was time to apply for college, I, you know, I remember sitting for my SATs and I knew how important it was. And I literally just didn't give a flying F. And I remember sitting in that room and it was like a three hour long or four hour long test. And we had the sheet of paper with all little bubbles and the number two pencil. And I must have daydreamed for at least three fourths of that time. And then towards the end, when we got a reminder notification that the test was going to be over in about half an hour, 
you know, I looked down at that, my test sheet, which was blank. And I just started filling in the dots. And that's what I did. I turned the damn thing in. I walked out of there and I was pretty happy with myself. So, you know, my parents were absolutely horrified. My results came back that I was like borderline retarded or something like that, you know, and that how could their 4.0 honor student, you know, so basically I didn't qualify for any of the universities that, you know, everybody dreamed I would go to. And I ended up going to San Jose State in my hometown, which was fine with me. And I had no idea what to study. I didn't want to go to school. You know, some of my friends were going to go to junior college. I thought that sounded like a cool idea. Let's work part time, you know, maybe take the general ed classes. Nope, you're going to college. So, you know, I did the pre-med track my parents really, really, really wanted me to be a doctor. And I was really clear, and I don't know why I had any clarity around this, that I just did not want to be a doctor. And I, the more I interacted with med school students, the more I really didn't want to be a doctor. And so I ended up switching to just plain old general biology, biological sciences, just so I could graduate. And right in my last semester of school, Cirque du Soleil was um, coming through town on their very first United States tour. And I got a part-time job as an usher showing people their seats. And I fell in love. I had (laughs) never seen anything like this in my freaking life. It was the colors, the music, the French Canadian accent. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a young girl from San Jose, California. I've never seen shit. Right. And I'm just like, wow, swept off my feet, swooning every night. Like who gives a shit about school? All I could do was wait till it was time to go back to the circus. And so when my boss, Sylvain, said, Jennifer, will you come with us to Los Angeles? I immediately went to school and withdrew from all my classes, put all my furniture on the street, packed my backpack, told my parents I was leaving town. And my mother just about lost her mind. So, you know, I did go back and graduate and I did have the time of my life. It was, I mean, it was wonderful. Everything about it was magical. And I, you know, I saw that show. I traveled with them through Southern California. And then uh, I ended up going back to the Bay Area, California, which is where I'm from. I did finish my last semester. Then I flew out to Atlanta, Georgia and finished the tour with them. And it was just, you know, lights, action, romance, (laughs) you know, you name it. And I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I was just like popping out of my seams, you know, and, and they invited me to come to Japan and something in me just said, you know what, it's, it's, it's time to, it's time to move on. And, you know, I, like most people who graduate from college, I had no freaking idea what to do once I graduated. I got no preparation Uh, I had no idea how to live on my own or be an adult. And, you know, I had the law after me for, you know, bad decisions. (laughs) And yeah, I was on probation. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of town. So I moved to Seattle. So I had a couple of friends in Seattle. Yeah. And I remember driving up to Seattle from San Jose, California in my little Volkswagen bug. And Nirvana Nevermind is like playing on repeat on all the radio stations And I'm like, that's it, baby. I'm grunge. I'm going grunge. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And it was, and and it was an exciting time to be in Seattle. It was, I went, I lived with a gal who was a friend of mine who was a student at the art Institute and she knew all these other 
video, visual artists, audio people, all these, you know, Seattle Art Institute people. So we, you know, we went to all the parties. We went to all the record, you know, release openings. We got to, you know, meet people, you know, and I was just like, you know, I was just so excited by life. Like who wants to, you know, think about getting a job and, and <laughs> doing all this other stupid stuff, you know? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I eventually did end up, uh, I remember applying for all these crazy jobs cause I didn't even know what I was qualified to do. <laughs> you know, I have this degree and, 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 you know, I remember I, <clears throat> did an interview at this pathology lab in a hospital, like up on Queen Anne or something like that. And I walk in for my interview and the doctor meets me and I look, I glance over to my left and there's like this adult human leg just laying on this table. Well, I can't get my eyes off the leg, you know, and he's trying to ask me questions and I want to know about the leg. And he's like, can you focus please? I'm like, well, I really want to know about this leg. Anyway, they asked me to leave. But I eventually ended up getting a job as a as a as an organic chemist, which is really funny because chemistry was one of my worst subjects. But for whatever reason, you know, I got the job. I had to interview in front of a panel of five PhDs. I almost peed my pants. They asked me really hard questions, and somehow, I I don't know. I mean, something kicked in, and, and so I spent four years at the bench and. I worked with great people, but it was very clear to me that, you know, without a PhD, I was, you know, I was just going to be working my buns off for nothing. Um, and when I found out that the admin assistant for our department was making double what I was making, oh, no. I was like, you know what, this is stupid. Like what, you know, what am I doing? And I was working in new drug development and I'd already had my, you know, I was in the midst of having what I call my, you know, my health crisis where, um, I ended up be, being diagnosed with systemic candida and, yeah. um, yeah, it was terrible. I mean, I mean, I, I was just, that. I was full of it. It was in my blood. It was in my stool. It was in my yes. urine. It was coming out of my nose. It was coming out of my armpits. I mean, I was a walk-in yeast factory yeah. and I was banging into stuff. My depth perception was completely off. I had two fires in my hood one explosion. So I was putting my coworkers at risk. Yeah. One time, yeah, I blew something up and I like hit the floor. I screamed and, and everybody's like, Jennifer, and I, you know, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I had no, and I kept going for a year. I'm going to allopathic doctors and, you know, the best they could do after a year of poking me and taking my blood and putting me on every medication known to man, they finally came out and said, well, we think you have narcolepsy because I kept falling asleep. Right. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? What do you, and I ended up working on a narcolepsy drug and they're some of the worst drugs out there. I mean, they, you might as well just take a gun and shoot these poor people than give them these drugs. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, just by coincidence, I happened to mention it while in my women's therapy group and somebody said, you need to see a naturopath. And I was like, well, what's a naturopath? You know, like no way, you know, <laughs> like I was so indoctrinated into Western medicine and I'd been sick my entire childhood. After my MMR vaccine, I got Kawasaki disease, which is oh, one God. of the side effects of the, you know what? Yes. And yeah, I mean, it was like, I mean, I was just chronically um, ill, not well. And so anyway, yeah, that opened up the world of natural medicine and I got better and I didn't get better 
the way that I thought I would get better. I got better through changing my diet. I got better through changing my lifestyle. I got better through establishing a spiritual practice. Yes. And within three months, I felt like a brand new person. And that's when I really, I was also in therapy for the first time in my life dealing with, you know, a lot of stuff that had occurred in my childhood that I didn't understand. And all of a sudden, like, the, like I started to see the world in color. That was the, I remember one day driving down the street in Magnolia in Seattle and I was looking out the window and I'd been so depressed from, with the candida. It really, really screwed up my, my mind, you know, and I was looking at the trees and the leaves on the trees. And all of a sudden I said to my boyfriend at the time, I said, wow, the, tr the leaves have color. <laughs> And he was like, uh, yeah, they do, Jen. <laughs> I was like, wow, it was like a revelation, you know? I was like, wow, like maybe, maybe it is worth living after all. And, you know, and I got into the, the firm industry and, uh, you know, I, when I left, the, when I, when I left Seattle, I got, I decided I'm going to go to graduate school. You know, I'm going to, I want to help people. You know, I, I loved therapy. I loved my therapist. I mean, I adored him. I stayed in contact with him up until his death. Uh, in 2019, which just devastated me because he was such a special person. So I had no idea that he was a mystic. I had no idea that he was a shaman. I, you know, he was posing as a psychotherapist sort of. Yes. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to therapy graduate school. He said, Oh dear, you're going to be so disappointed. And I said, don't say that, you know, <laughs> I was going to make it work. And, you know, I got through graduate school and there I am in the same damn boat as when I left college. <laughs> I had no idea what to do next. And at that point I'd married the boyfriend that, that I'd seen colors with, and now I'm getting divorced and, you know, I'm miserable. I'm in, working in this dumb biotech job, you know, working on recombinant human collagen made from yeast, you know, for, for dental and cosmetic applications. So people don't get mad cows disease. I mean, it was just <laughs> stupid. Yeah. I did a, I did an LSD psychotherapy journey and I remember they had me on this mega dose of, of LSD and I had a blindfold on and, you know, ear, earphones on they're pumping this, you know, white noise. So you can't hear what's going on in the room. Oh, <laughs> we're sitting oh, up man. I remember sitting up and, and tearing off my blindfold and taking off my earphones and a couple of the, you know, one of the doctors runs over and one of the midwives and they're like, Jennifer, what's going on? And I announced from, you know, deep within my belly, I'm like, my job is stupid. <laughs> and then I put my blindfold back on and my earphones back on and I laid back down and went right back to work, you know, but I was like, damn it. Revelation. You know? Yeah, but it was just this, you know, it was just this until 2020, until the whole pandemic thing hit, there was part of me that was like, when am I going to figure it out? Yes. And, and all of this, I, I've been really lately, even though there's a lot of confusion and fear and so many questions, I've, I'm really grateful that, you know, what, what is going on? Like, it's finally out in the open. And yes. It's finally out in the fucking open for once. I mean, maybe we don't have the whole story. Of course we don't, but this is what I loved about India. This is what I love about my neighborhood in Mexico. You walk outside the street and it's not like immaculate lawns and polished cars and perfect people. 
you know, you see life as it is and it's brutal. Yeah. And beautiful. Yes. Yes. Because of its the realness. Exactly. Um, it was really, really yesterday I, I stepped out on the back patio and my black cat had caught a dragonfly and I was absolutely heartbroken. We have these enormous dragonflies and they will come right up to your face and hover right in front of you. And they're just everywhere. And so my, my cat has never caught one before and I could see her, you know, batting it, kind of torturing it. And my heart was just, it just sunk. I just felt such an enormous feeling of sadness. And I'd just been across the street taking pictures of all these beautiful flowers in my neighbor's yard, these tropical flowers, just gorgeous. They look like space aliens. And then here I am with the cat and I'm the, the, dra the dragonfly and I'm standing there looking at her and I have my hand up towards my face and this second dragonfly came and landed on my hand oh, man. about three inches from my face and it was big and I looked at it and it looked at me and all of a sudden that feeling of sadness just completely lifted oh. and I heard in my mind you know, this is the cycle of life. Life is beauty. Life is ugly. I mean, it was just all of a sudden, it was like this, this dragonfly was like communicating with me. And I mean, he hung around for a while. I was looking at him. He was looking at me, kept cocking his head and doing weird stuff with his little mandibles. And, and, and then just like that, he flew away. Mm. And, uh, and I was kind of like, wow, you know, if I wasn't, paying attention I would have missed that entire exchange with that beautiful dragonfly that's the synchromistic universe exactly I mean it really is everything is there for us to see we just need to understand the language I feel like it's so obvious to me walking around in life but it's amazing how many people really aren't in touch with the natural world and the natural uh, messaging that's always going on. The symbols are everywhere and all we have to do is follow them. Yeah, true. And, and, and there's a, there's such a relief in that because, you know, as being someone, um, who spent a large portion of my life, um, you know, seriously depressed and not even sure I wanted to be here and what am I doing here? Um, like those feelings are gone. Like this is the first time in my life where I am a hundred percent sure, like I am meant to be here Yes. and I am not, it's just not an option anymore. Yeah. yeah. You are shining girl. You are, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. I have a question about, and I just, I love you so much. I mean, here oh. we are, you're talking about the law, running from the law, <laughs> joining the car, <laughs> joining the circus. You're, you follow your heart, you're, you're living in India, then you're going to Mexico. I want to talk about uh, lessons you learned in India and mm -hmm. the reason you went to India and then the reason you came back from India, because I think this is significant. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, um, as I said, when I, gra when I graduated uh, uh, from uh, graduate school, 
um, you know, here I am in this situation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get divorced, which, you know, nobody ever thinks when they're, you know, when they get married, that they, they will ever get divorced. Like what me? Okay. So that was devastating. And then of course there was the whole like, well, now what am I supposed to do? <clears throat> and not knowing what I'm supposed to do. And right out of the blue, I got uh, an email from one of my advisors from graduate school because probably my first therapist that I mentioned, my mystic, when I walked into his office, the very first time I met him and I was a hot freaking mess, he sat opposite me and he listened to me talk, you know, he didn't say a whole lot. And then he, you know, and then he basically said to me, he said, well, you know, I don't work individually. I work in groups. And he said, and you obviously don't know how to function in society. So you need to be in a group. And he would say stuff like this all the time. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, but he went over to his bookshelf and he pulled out a copy of Jay Krishnamurti's Freedom from the Known, right? Little tiny book. And he handed it to me and he said, I want you to start reading this. And I looked at that book and I kind of turned my nose up like, oh, I'll, sure, I'm going to read your little book and then I'm going to show up to your group therapy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I took the damn book home and I tried to read it and I couldn't get through a paragraph without my brain turning into scrambled eggs. It was making me really mad. Like, I did not understand what this Krishnamurti guy was talking about. And I'm like, what in the... So that started my love affair with Krishnamurti and, and, and it continued. I mean, that was, you know, 1992, by the time I graduated from school, it's, you know, 2000, 2001. So I had taken some courses in graduate school um, on Krishnamurti and become very good friends with the professor who taught those classes. So she, you know, I'm sitting in my dumb cubicle in my biotech job, you know, and I get this email and she says, Jennifer, there's a two-year scholarship to study Krishnamurti in India. And I had never had any interest in India at all, you know? And so I said, all right, I'll look it up. And I, you know, I got online, I looked it up. And, <clears throat> and the first thing I noticed was, you know, I'm two months past the, the deadline to apply. And I read about it and it's like, okay, two years, room and board, you get a travel stipend, you get to travel all around India. They want you to do a comparative research study on topic of your choice, uh, comparing the teachings of the Buddha to, you know, the teachings of K Krishnamurti. I mean, like how vague is that, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I was just like, well, this sounds interesting. You know, it'll give me something to do, something I'm interested in. And, you know, like I said, I knew nothing about India. So that was a complete shocker. And so I, uh, I, I was sitting there just staring at my computer and my boss came over and, you know, checked in and said, Jennifer, what are you doing? Cause I would do that. I would start daydreaming and I'd be gone for a while, <laughs> but nobody ever seemed to mind because I always got my job done, you know? So they're like, okay, that's Jennifer. She's a little weird, but he came over and he just said, what's going on? And I just said, well, you know, there's this scholarship, this postgraduate, you know, research scholarship. And, and he looked at me and he goes, well, you have to apply. And I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, it's for two years. I said, you know, like I would have to quit my job. And he said, you will have, you have to apply. And I said, he said, go home, go home and, and work on your application. And I was like, what, what in the hell's going on? This is so weird. So I went home and it was almost as if somebody took over, you know, that, that doormat version of myself that I'm not good enough, 
you know, all the, all the, all that stuff just went out the window. And I wrote this compelling letter and I just said, I understand that I'm two years over the formal due date. And here are the top five reasons why you will choose me to do this job. And I sent that thing the very same night. And then, you know, a month went by and I, and I thought, well, you know, I gave it a go. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, I got an email from the Krishnamurti Foundation in India um, wanting to have a phone call with me. And so I thought, okay, well, this, this is going to be an interview. And instead of interviewing, they just said, they asked me a couple of questions. They asked me if I liked Indian food. I was like, are you kidding? Like, what a weird question. <laughs> like, ask me about Krishnamurti. <laughs> Do I like Indian food? And so anyway, he says, okay, well, can you be here in a month? And I'm like, what? And I, I'm like, I got to quit my job you know, move out of my house that I've lived in for 11 years with my ex-husband, who's a hoarder. Like, you want me to do all this in a month? And, and he's like, yes, madam. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> okay. I guess so. I guess I'll do it. And so, you know, yeah. So it, and the thing was, was really interesting was that at that point, I mean, I was, I kind of pretty much sort of fallen out of love with Christianity. I mean, not that I ever have fallen out of love. I just wasn't, I wasn't that, you know, uh, I've read almost everything. There was really, I, it, or so, I, so I thought there was nothing new for me to, to discover and that would change. But, you know, I think just the, just the willingness to get up and make such a radical change and to commit to, and it forced me to sit down with my ex who, you know, I continued to stay close to um, and would still be close to if I was able to be in contact with him. Unfortunately, he's in a care home as far as I know, or he may have passed by now. He had a catastrophic stroke in 2013. Oof, but we sat home. down and I said, look, I have this opportunity. Um, you know, I don't want to lose the house. You know, it was San Francisco. We were under rent control. I said, can you, you know, can you man the ship? And can, can you help me get out of the country? And, you know, I got a lot to do and, and I did it. And, and it, you know, it was crazy because I remember I flew October 2020, 2001, one month after September 11th. Ooh, and I remember walking into San Francisco international airport and seeing all these guys in fatigues with these, you know, automatic what are they AR-15s? I don't know what they were, but I was looking around and just going like something really big has just happened mm -hmm. in the world. And I don't, and I, I, I did not, I knew something was really, really wrong with the narrative. Like I didn't believe it, but what it afforded me was, you know, for years I've been working myself to the bone in corporate America and you know, in this marriage, you know, doing the cooking, paying the bills, cleaning the house, doing the taxes, yeah. going to school full time for my, you know, my master's degree. I was literally exhausted. And when I got to India, the first thing I did was go to sleep. Oh, and yes. I just slept and ate homemade Indian food for like oh, three girl. months. I just, they're like, where's Jennifer? Oh, she's having a nap, you know? Yeah. Or I'd wake up for tea and then I'd go back to sleep. I mean, I was just exhausted. I, yeah. you know, I was 33 years old and I was just, you know, I felt like I was 180 years old and just 
just the shock of being there. I remember when I had to change, I had, I had to touch down in Delhi and then I had an overnight and another plane to Varanasi, which was my final destination. And I remember when I got down off the plane, like immediately I like, was hit in the face with these smells that were so not familiar to me. It was like a combination of incense, cow shit, burning <laughs> rubber, you know, dead bodies and curry, you know, I'm like, hmm, I'm kind of hungry, but yeah. And most people would be just like, like, Oh God, what is this? You know? And I was like, Oh wow. I'm home. Yes. <laughs> Finally home. And that's how it felt. It felt, it felt to me as if I, if I, as if I had come home and it was just natural, um, you know, just the culture was, it, I, I mean, I must have past lives or something because I mean, I just slipped right into the, the fabric of, of, of the place and the culture. And, and it was just, I mean, you know, it was, it was magnificent and everything, everything. I, I, I had a camera, I had an AE, I had a Canon AE one and I brought some rolls of black and white and there were a couple of guys that worked in the kitchen who were from Nepal and they didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Nepali and I spoke very little Hindi at that point, but I taught them how to use my camera and we would go out and take pictures and then I would have the film developed downtown. And I mean, we just, we just had a hoot just doing the wow. simplest, silliest. We were just, we just, we were like children, you know, and there how long was, were you there? Uh, the first time I went, I was there two years. I stayed at the foundation for a year. And then I, at, th at that point, I couldn't tolerate. So there, there's a real division. So the, you know, the faculty or the staff, uh, not the staff, but like the main people that run the study center, they're very academic and they're very, it's a bit different kind of Indian. And so I was really connecting with the maids and the gardeners and the yes. laundry people and the people that worked in the kitchen. And so I decided, well, I'm going to get an apartment. Plus I got a boyfriend. So I wanted to move, you know, to the other side of town. So I, you know, I didn't have to travel so far to go, you know, do my booty call. Okay. <laughs> hey girl, I know got to schedule that in. <laughs> Well, and plus he was from Israel and his mom sent him care packages of really good coffee and we couldn't get coffee anywhere. Ooh, in I love the bonus. Uh -huh. Yeah, right? So, yeah. So, we, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, hey, good coffee and a little nookie. Why not? Uh, that's right. And, yeah, and he was studying Indian classical music. So I'd sit and listen to him practice and, you know, you know, write in my journal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but you know, it, one of the things that I, I, that was hard for me was this notion of the caste system because I, it was glaring, you know, it's really in your face. Yes. And when people would bring it up to talk to me about it, I would say, well, but don't you understand that we have one too? And yes. they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, sure. You know, this whole expectation that you've got to go to college and then you're going to get married and then you're going to buy a house that you can't afford with a 30 year mortgage. And then you're going to have mm -hmm. children and then you're going to work yourself to the bone. And maybe when you're 65 and you retire, then you can relax and have a life. I said, how is it any different? It's, you know, we're, we, we have this, we have similar systems in the West. People just don't want to admit it or they can't see it. They can't but, see it because it's been sold to them, you know, in a glamorous way, the way people do. Right. And for, for whatever reason, 
I was able, and I still don't understand why some people can see through it and other people can't. But I remember when I was 16 years old, um, I went to my mom and I said, I've made a decision. She said, what's that? And I said, I'm a punk rocker. <laughs> and she was like, well, what does that mean? And I just said, it's, I said, I believe in anarchy. <laughs> and, and she was, of course, horrified. But it, but it, it was so, it's so remarkable, remarkable to me at that time that, you know, at that age, most of my friends who were part of the punk movement in, in their minds, anarchy was chaos. It was yes. you know, the mosh pit. But yes. for me, it was, I knew at that age, I was never going to let anyone rule over me. Yes. Ever. That's I the was, real punk rock to me. Exactly. And, and that was that, and that stayed with me. That has stayed with me through my entire experience of life to the point where, I mean, even now here in Mexico, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm in my early fifties and people are like, what, you're not married. What? You don't have children. What? You live alone. Like, is there something wrong with you? And I'm like, no, I, look, I'm free. I'm having the time of my life. I get to do whatever I want on my terms. I make good money. I believe in myself. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I have a creative life. I've got, you know, I don't have a lot of friends, but the friends that I do have are solid. You know, I went into this whole COVID thing with like, you know, thousands of connections on Facebook. And now I've got like 10 friends. <laughs> let's, let's look at that. So I wanted to get there. So this last time when you were, you moved to India, you moved yeah. because you saw some stuff going down here and you thought mm -hmm. that would be the place to go. Do I have that right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, that was, India was kind of my, you know, my retreat. And I, it, 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 I, I had always dreamed of making it my forever home. So I was there from 2001, 2003. Then I was there again from 2007 to 2008. And then, you know, just because of the craziness of life, my trips out there became fewer and far between and for shorter periods of time. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard trip. It's a long trip to get out there. There's the shock of being there, you know, the settling in and then boom, turn around and come back to, you know, the West. And anyway, I had, um, I had moved, I had left California and gone up to the Pacific Northwest for a contract job, a one-year contract job. And I had started having these cataclysmic nightmares, you know, like Mad Max style nightmares and, and just terrors um about my ex-husband being in this care home that um something really terrible was gonna and he was already getting like the lowest quality of care and there was really nothing i could do about it because we were divorced but as i said we had remained friends for a very very long time and when you know he had his stroke um you know, I mean, we've been divorced for 13 years and I was like the second person to arrive at his bedside in the ICU. I mean, I was just mortified. Yeah. Um, and it was just my, you know, my worst nightmare to be fully conscious in a body that doesn't work and to have no say over my care or my future. And that's the fate. That's what he ended up having to deal with. And so... It's yeah. so ironic. It's really ironic be how that looped. 
Yeah. It's, so, it's funny too. My my ex showed up at, when I was in the hospital. Interesting. Interesting. Last person I would expect to see there. But that, I mean, I do think that says so much about, you know, that they valued the relationship and it, there's something I think that must be beautiful in knowing that because of all the, sometimes the sourness that can ensue. <laughs> yeah. I even bought her a Christmas yeah. present. I bought her a gift card at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> but it is times like that where you realize who's who yeah yeah absolutely and it's you know it, i knew you know in my heart of hearts i knew i knew nobody in his family was going to show up for him and so i was not going to let him go through that alone you know he he put up with so much bs from me when i was in my early 20s i mean i was a i was a hot shit I mean, I was a nightmare. I, 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 I'm not sure why he stayed with me for as long as he did, but you know, and so I just, I really felt like I wanted to, to be there for him. And so as 2019 is, or actually 2018, um, I was in Tacoma, Washington. And then from there, I moved down to Vancouver, Washington. And I started, you know, I, all of a sudden out of the blue, I called up his brother and his sister-in-law and I just said, you have to get him out of this place. I said, look, it's not that you guys have, you know, you have the, 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 the resources to do this, put him somewhere different, get him out of California. They're going to kill him. And, and his sister-in-law said, Jennifer, calm down. You know, like what, why, what are you talking about? Why would they kill him? And I don't know where this came from, but I blurted out because he's a useless eater. Mm, girl. And I'd never heard, I, not to my knowledge, had I ever heard that, but something in me, you know, some mama bear, some, like, I felt like I needed to try and help protect him. And, and, and then it, you know, and then at one point I just had to let it go because there was really, and I mean, I, I've been a couple of days ago, just out of curiosity, I, you know, I Googled his full name and, um, from what it appears, his sister who had, you know, um, what is it? Consecutive, how do you, conservatorship oh, over yeah, his yeah. well-being? Well, apparently yeah. she didn't show up for a court, apparently she didn't show up for a court date. Now he's a ward of the state. Oh my God. And I just said, oh God, you know, I just, I can't, you know, I, yeah. So at some point, you know, I just, I, wow. I cried and I just said, you know what? I love you and I'll always love you, but this is the, wow, there's nothing. I, and this is it, you know? Yeah. But I, you know, I thought from what I was seeing, I thought that this was something that was specific to the United States. I didn't understand we were moving into a global catastrophe. And so, yes. you know, I fled. Jennifer. She fled the Zoom. She fled the U.S. for <laughs> India and, you know, ahead of this curve. And this is what's compelling about that is that she saw this all coming, but she really did think it was going to be here. And I had a other a couple other friends that did that, too. And they realized I, I didn't think it was going to be here. I I thought it was going to be all over the world, but I, I'm out there saying that. And uh and so, but I, you know, I had other friends thinking it was just going to be here, this craziness. And when they got to other countries, they realized that it was all trickling into their spaces. 
And that's what is alarming is that this is happening everywhere. Now there are better pockets and that's what Jennifer, you know, she, she'll, she'll be back to tell the rest, but, but is she, it really she, happening she, everywhere though? Well, it, I mean, I or guess it's just on like TV. It's just on TV. This is why I do boots on the ground, Jerry. And I talk to people all over the world almost daily. And that's why I'm asking people to tell their stories rather than sure. no, uh, no, no, person I... personalities. So I want to say, yes, it is really happening all over the world. Everyone I'm talking to from many different countries are experiencing this from one degree to another. Now, there, I talked to Rafa Martinelli in uh, Paraguay maybe last month. And Paraguay is always behind, he said. So there's not a lot of this going on there, but there's enough. They, you know, there's they're trying to mandate stuff. The Paraguay people, it's a slower culture, it's a closed-in culture. Jennifer, are you back? I'm back. <laughs> okay. So you were you were thinking hey. it would it would be just here in America, but you get to India and you realize this was going to be a bigger job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started. You know, I just started to become aware of, you know, the 5G towers and just talking to people. And I was actually, I actually ended up leaving India before the pandemic, but I left because um, the information that I was receiving about, well, first of all, I was having nonstop Wi-Fi issues like I'm having here in Mexico. Um, and we had a tower in my neighborhood and I could not figure out, I, you know, I'd run a broadband cable to the house. I, you know, gotten a hotspot. I'd done all these different things and I could not, I couldn't have, I couldn't get a reliable internet connection. And this went on for, you know, months and months and months. And even in monsoon time, the whole city will go dead for like a month because it's just due to the weather and that kind of thing. But anyway, one day I walked up to the main road <clears throat> I was friends with a couple of the guys that worked in the guest house up there. And I was like, hey, God, I'm like, hey, uh, how's your internet? And they kind of chuckled, you know, and they're like, oh, Ginny, you're so funny, you know, and I'm like, no, really serious, guys, what's going on? And they're, so they said, it's, you know, it's, it's not so good. And I said, well, what's the problem? And so they point to this giant tower behind us, you know, it's on the main road. And uh, there's all these monkeys jumping around on the tower, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, basically the monkeys had destroyed the tower. So it's amazing well, seriously i'm like i'm like well well when are they going to fix the damn tower and they said well they're not going to fix it because in march now this is we're getting we're in december of 2019 they said in march of 2020 the, you know 5g is coming and i was like what i'm like 5g is coming i'm like i gotta get the f out of here now i'm like oh man wrong choice <laughs> Yeah, because like I all I all I could think of was like you know people dropping dead in the street, monkeys flying through the air. I'm like I do not want to go away. This is bad. <laughs> yeah, I was like shit. I had no idea what to do. You know, because like I'm like damn it, this is supposed to be my forever home. You know, I was pissed. And uh, and then the other thing that happened that pissed me off was that um uh. PayPal. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing side jobs and working for myself. Right. And I didn't have my PayPal set up so that when I got paid, it would automatically go to my bank account. I had to physically move it. So, you know, my bad. Anyway, I had tried to, um, 
I had tried to do some PayPal transaction that locked and suspended me from my account. So I called up the, you know, the customer service number, right? And I got this dude on the phone. He goes, um, are you using a VPN? And I said, yeah, I'm using a VPN. He goes, can you turn off your VPN? I'm like, why do I need to turn off my VPN? He goes, can you please turn off your VPN? And I'm like, all right. So I turn off the VPN. He goes, you're in India. And I'm like, yeah, so what? And he's like, well, you can't access PayPal from outside the United States. And I'm like, says who? And he says, says PayPal. <laughs> Crazy. And I'm like, and I'm like, what, what? I go, what the hell? I go, how am I supposed to get, how am I supposed to get access to my money? And he goes, well, you need to come back to the United States. I said, but what if I don't plan on coming back to the United States? <laughs> and he goes, well, we're just going to keep your money then. And I'm like, fuck you. And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he hangs up on me. And I'm like, holy crap. I got to fly back to the United States. This is crazy. Couldn't you set your VPN to look like a United States address? Well, you know, if I was a little bit sharper back got then, it, like I'm it. more, like, I'm more savvy now, but you know, like I wasn't. Yeah. So anyway, well, actually, yeah. So anyway, that was a learning so, curve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, great. Now I got to go back to the United States and, uh, um and yeah so i got to experience the beginning of pandemic in san jose california in silicon valley um in the heart of yeah it was like it was i was like where what am i doing here like the, it took me about mm, three four weeks to get the paypal account unlocked because they had me on this weird they thought, I don't know, they made me go through all these security questions. And then I had to give them my social security number. I said, what are you guys doing? Just give me my goddamn money. Don't, you know? So it was crazy. So I finally got that taken care of. And I was just kind of like, man, I got to get out of here. I have no idea what, where to go next or what to do. And um, you, so that, let's hold on here. You were in the, see, this is the thing. You were in the pharmaceutical business for quite a long time. Were you still oh, in yeah. it at this time? No, I had left in 2019 after I went to Anarchapulco. So I was talking to Jerry about that before. <laughs> yeah, so I went to Anarchapulco in 2019. And it was like, I mean, I had been, I had wanted to go in 2018, but I didn't get my shit together in time. And so I ended up going in 2019. I went all by myself. And I had met one guy on Facebook from the Midwest who was like, um, okay. Well, I stayed at the hotel where they were having the conference. Cause they, you know, they did, I got the ticket right when it went on sale, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, when I got there, um, I let him know, you know, I'd arrived and I checked in and, you know, I got freshened up and he said, Oh, I'm downstairs with these, you know, friends of mine. And I went down there and met like these six dudes, cryptocurrency, you know, guys from Canada. And, that was my posse for the next week. I mean, we were inseparable and it was like the first time in my life, you know, I'm, you know, I got to see Max Egan up on the stage and I got to, you know, I got to listen to Mark Passio and I got to give David Ike a hug. And, you know, I, I was just like, I was like, like a kid in a candy store. 
and I, you know, I mean, I was used to being around, you know, people in corporate America and, you know, in, in the drug industry, not, you know, not a bunch of anarchists and libertarians and crypto millionaires, you know, I mean, yeah. it was just like, wow. And I, I did, um, I mean, I was just so impressed with all of these young entrepreneurs. I was meeting entrepreneurs that, I mean, men, women, and everybody was like doing their own thing. And I was like, well, damn, like, you know, why can't, where did this idea come from that I have to have a, a job and I have to have a paycheck and I have to have these stupid benefits that I don't even use because I don't even use the Western medical model. I mean, it's just stupid. And then I, it was just kind of like, well, I, all of a sudden I just, this light bulb went off and I was like, just do your own thing. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. Was it scary was, for you? Oh my God, I was terrified. I mean, you know, that's what kept me in biotech for as long as it did. You know, there were years when I left in 2001 to go to India. I remember sitting out on the back steps at Fibrogen thinking, this is it. I am never coming back to this industry ever again. And I just kept going back and I kept going back and I kept going back. What yeah. were Jennifer, what were red flags in the industry that first of all, it's a corporate experience. So everyone understands how draining that can be, but were there red flags with um, any, did you see anything that just was like, is this, did you see anything questionable in your time around all this? I mean, yeah, I saw, I, you know, it's, it's weird because there's a certain level of conditioning that takes place. And I had the unique experience that the majority of jobs that I worked were for small virtual startups. So that meant that I was responsible for all aspects of quality. So quality assurance, which is more corporate based, it's, it's procedures, it's regulatory compliance, and then quality control, which is laboratory testing, product inspection, you know, that kind of thing. So when you get into these larger, larger companies, you know, like the Mercks and the Pfizer's and the Roche and, you know, you get pigeonholed into a very specific role and that's all you do day in and day out. So you have no big pitch picture as to what is going on in the world around you, right? You just come in and you review batch records day in and day out, day in and day out, or maybe you process change controls or maybe you do this. Whereas I was doing everything and I was involved in everything. So I knew all the executives. I was part of decision-making teams and, and I saw, you know, with my, with my master's degree in psychology and also my years and years of my own personal therapy, I started to become really aware of, we didn't call them narcissists, psychopaths, and sociopaths back then, but right, right. These, these were the people that were, not all of them, but the majority of the people that I were working with seemed to not have a conscience mm -hmm. and seemed to be driven by core values that did not meet, match mine at all. So, you know, I... I went into it initially because my grandfather had died when I was 12 years old. And, and I, at, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a doctor, but I settled 
what I said was I want to be a med I want to make medicine. I want to make safe, effective. I want to help people. And I've always had that drive in me mm -hmm. um, to be of service. And so I took my job seriously, you know, and I did a lot of, I, I did a couple of jobs where I was working with commercial products, products that were already out into the marketplace that had been approved. But a lot of what I did was I was involved in global clinical trials for children and for adults. And I started seeing things that really deeply troubled me. So it was like every time I would leave one place and say, that's it, damn it, it's over. I'm never going back. Then another carrot would get dangled in front of me, another opportunity, more money, a different title. It would fill all those gaps and those voids in myself. Like I'd start to feel important again. Oh, you know, I'm a quality manager. You know, <laughs> it was just bullshit. But I, I had a, before I went to, back to India the second time, I had a pivotal experience where I was working with two people that I had worked with in previous companies. So people would hire me back on. Um, and, and a lot of the times when I would interview, they'd be like, why do you jump companies so often? It's like, well, if so-and-so calls me, I'm going to go work for him because it's hard to find good people. Yes. So I was working in this one very small company in Palo Alto and um, the VP um, was a woman I had worked for before. I had a lot of respect for her. And then her senior director, I had worked for him also at two different companies. I had a lot of respect for him. Well, within the same week, both of them quit. And I knew something oh, yeah. Yeah. was wrong. I knew something was very wrong. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, the senior director, he said, I know you will always do the right thing. I have to go. And I was like, fuck, what is going on? And then she came to me, the VP, and she said, Jennifer, um, if you feel that you need to leave, um, I will always be a reference for you. Please back up all your emails, please. You know, she was basically telling me to cover my ass. And I'm like, what in the H is going on around here? What so, year was that? That was 2007. Yeah. And so here I am. I'm like, you know, I'm at, like at the manager level. I'm like, you know, I'm a small fry. I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to play well with others. I don't have the Politico thing, you know, down. Anyway, and I've lost two of my, you know, my core mentors who I actually respected. They were actually, you know, they are good people. So I got approval to hire three high-level consultants. I got a low-level consultant to file my paperwork. And I basically took over that department. And I went out and did an inspection of a academic, um, uh, an academic manufacturing uh, it's quite common in early phase clinical trials that you'll do your phase one trials. You'll manufacture your product with a university um, and not an actual company. A if you're a virtual company, you're not because it's going to save you money, right? Mm -hmm. So we go out. I take this, you know, woman with me who I also dearly love and respect. And I was just recently in touch with her about a month ago, and and I just adore her. Anyway, I took her out and we we're looking at a product, which is a sterile injectable product. It's which is about to be used in a pediatric trial for cystic fibrosis. All right. So this is, we're talking children. 
and we go out there and we do this inspection and we we have a saying in the industry you cannot test quality into a product so yeah. you can test the finished good and you can and the test result can say it's sterile but unless you have the processes and the procedures in place to demonstrate sterility you cannot say that product is sterile and so here i'm faced with this horrible situation where i have to come back and i quarantine 2.5 million dollars worth of investigational new drug at my clinical depot that was storing my product oh, wait. and i gave the ceo the direction no one can release this product other than myself or the ceo of my company and he said understood jennifer so the next thing you know, I'm in a boardroom with a bunch of people I've never seen before in my life. And the CEO comes in and the chief medical officer comes in and this high paid hoity-toity quality consultant bully who's going to sit there and jab me and poke at me and call me names and challenge my audit report. And I just kept saying, I said, look, if you don't agree with my findings, it's really simple the CEO can release the product and you can proceed with your trial. I am not releasing this product. I will not give you the authority to inject this product into children. Mm. And it's like dead quiet around the table. Everybody's giving me the evil stink eye. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm like ready to pee my pants. I'm sick. To, I want to vomit. I'm so scared and all i can think of is like i am you know i'm gonna do the right thing no matter if, if even if it kills me i'm gonna do the right thing and finally the chief medical officer this fucker he slams his fist down on the table and looks me leans towards me and looks me in the face and he goes what is your effing problem oh all god. these kids are going to be dead in five years anyway oh my god and I just said, that's it, meeting's over. And I stood up and I just walked out and I went to my um, office, I packed everything up. I'd already backed up all my files and done everything that my VP had already told me to do, you know, a month before when she had left, I packed everything up, got in my car, went home, bought a one-way ticket, left all my office stuff in a, you know, a storage uh, garage space at my stepdad's office and just said, I'm out, I'm done. And it was heartbreaking. I, you know, I told them what I'd been through and my mom looked at me and she was teary eyed and she goes, honey, why did you quit your job? Oh. Oh and God. I was like, oh my God, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Jeez. And I was just, you know, it was just, it was a heartbreaking year for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, and it continued and I would try and weasel my way out. Okay. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work in instructional design and training. Now I'm going to do something, you know, more beneficial, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and it was just like, you know, and then it's, you know, then it's 2013. I'm at, I'm at Novartis and they're, you know, on a huge warning letter for falsification of data, you know, and it's kind of oh, like, when is this, this is just, it was like, it was it's not following me. I know it's not personal. It's just that the industry it's, itself is, it's, it's toxic. It's completely toxic. Yeah. And it's not about health. It's no. not about patience. It's not about quality. It's about profit. It's about power. It's about pride. 
It's about ego and people will like I convinced myself to stay, people will convince themselves and justify the most horrific behavior for whatever reason. And they actually, you know, they, they, they don't feel bad about it, which I don't, I could not wrap my head around. Yeah. It takes, you know, people that don't understand this is, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, a lot of times people, when they start encountering the sicker side of stuff, you don't want to believe it's happening, that it's really happening. You might intellectually know, or there might be some, you know, some pings here and there, but you don't want to think that this is really being that nasty. And I had to go through the allopathic system just to, you know, because I did with when I got Hashimoto's and Mm -hmm. that I didn't otherwise before that, I didn't question it. I didn't have any reason to, and we're told not to. And so I, it wasn't even on my radar until I went through it. And this is the thing that people don't understand when we're talking about these kinds of stories, this stuff doesn't live in your soul. You don't, you're not a person that is, when you encounter something that's a sinister and this terrible and just frankly evil it's it takes a it takes time for that to actually sink in a lot of people get very judgmental in response times to this kind of information and that's where you know it's a sad thing because we're all in a different path when you started to see all this breakdown here so when you finally just left and stood up and said there is a lot going on and mm-hmm. I'm not going to be part of it anymore. And this is when you lost everyone that, you know, just dropped mm-hmm. away like flies because you're talking about the real sciences out mm-hmm. there, the real studies, the f- no protocols are being followed, etc. cetera. Right. What was going on with that period for you? Well, it was, it was interesting because the last couple of years um, that I was in the industry, I had actually... I was still working as an independent consultant, but I had gone to work for a consulting agency and I was doing, I was writing blogs for them. I would pick up a training here and there if they needed somebody to do an in-person or online training. And I loved training. I, I, and I still love training. I, I do a lot of training. I do instructional design. I put courses together. I think like a trainer. And I love interacting with people. So I continued, you know, to dabble in that arena, but there was something going on with this agency. You know, it had changed, um, changed ownership and there was definitely a different focus that was going on. And I knew it was like a ticking time bomb. There was something inside of me that said, you have to get out. You have to get out now. You have to get out. And so And I had tried the entire 2018. I had been very gentle. The the VP was, I love this woman. She was such a good heart um, and so terribly asleep, Um, but really, you know, committed to doing the right thing. And and also at the same time, complete no self-awareness whatsoever. And really um, just deep into the, into the the propaganda and so it was hard for me i didn't want to let her down and i kept trying to say like look i really you know i don't want to work on these projects anymore i you know i I need to be doing something different i'm not happy i kept telling her that i'm not happy and 
and and but you know jennifer you know i love working with you and it brightens my day and everybody loves working with you well yeah because i'm alive and all you suckers are dead you know <laughs> i mean people it's true and i you know and i don't have any i'm not you know i'm not embarrassed to say it i mean people love working with me because i bring a sense of uh, a spark of life to an otherwise you know dying culture in any company and so it was like, I, I just kind of, Anacapulco helped me. I was so inspired by what other people were doing. And I was like, they're not starving. They're not living on the street. Where, where, are, where are all these ideas coming from that I'm going to, you know, that if I, if I leave this industry that I'm, I won't be able to feed myself. I won't be able to, to afford shelter. Where is this coming from? Yeah. And I could, I could sense that it was some kind of a program that had been yes. instilled in me. And, and I just said, you know, that's it, I'm done. And, and I, I was still on Facebook at the time and I had noticed that there were people that were, um, you know, posting about the American Kratom Association, FDA's giving them a hard, hard time. And I was like, wait a second, what? Because I there's there's no love between me and the FDA. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so I got on the horn. I found I found the contact for the executive director. I said, Hey, this is who I am. I just left the industry. Uh, you guys need help with anything? You let me know. I'll help you. And so we we started an email dialogue. And he said, Well, we're doing this program, and we want to. You know, we're not uh, recognized at all. In you know, kratom is. I mean, they're trying to ban it internationally now not just you know in the u.s but all throughout the world and kratom has been helping people for thousands of years all over you know yes. east asia so anyway all of a sudden my, all this new work started flowing my way and i you know sure i don't make the same amount of money but i mean i'm way way happier and i was like wow it was that easy all i had to do was trust and take those first steps yes and put myself out there and just keep showing up and it happened. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't really have any regrets because I feel that there was something really important for me in staying as long as I did and seeing the level of corruption that I saw, because it really helps me to see through certain things. You know, I look at certain people differently. I look at Judy Mikovits differently. I look at Fauci differently. I look at Carrie Mullis differently because I've worked in that industry and I can smell a rat. I, boy, I can smell a rat from, you know, far, far away. I'm like, oh, really? That really happened? I don't think so. I don't think that happened. Can you smell a, uh, a garden gnome from... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What does a garden gnome smell like, Jerry? Like Fauci. <laughs> no, they don't. Don't even put Fauci I'm in the gnome category. I'm kidding. I had a question from chat uh, from way back when you were talking about Anarchopoco. Yeah. Um, someone asked if, you, if you're aware of Cliff High and what do you think of him? I, you know, your I've thoughts seen a couple, on him? Yeah. I've seen a couple of Cliff's videos and that's it. So, I mean, I, I know that he was uh into crypto and he was that I, I just i really don't know anything more about cliff than that um i know some people love him some people hate him i've just never gone never pursued that 
line of research. Cool. He's got a bunch of videos. He just posts to uh, BitChute mostly now, I think, at Rumble. So BitChute okay. is oh. where I see him. His Woo series is, I'm enjoying. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big wooer. Yeah, oh, um, yeah. You yes, like you it. are. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I, um, and, and Nish, I think you know this, but, you know, so when I, when I went to the Krishnamurti Foundation, one of the things that um, just blew my mind was that I had access to this uh, study center library that had, had all kinds of stuff, transcripts, audio tapes, VHSs, stuff I'd never seen before, like typed reports that people had typed from cassette, dot, you know, cassette recorded dialogues with Krishnamurti. The other thing I had access to was the entire Theosophical Society library. Ooh, and wow. I had, I knew that the, the Theosophical Society was, but I had never, ever gone into it. So I became a regular down there at, at the TS. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'm really, uh, I love the whole woo thing. Yeah, for sure. What did you, and well, you know, and seeing ghosts and talking to bugs and all that you have a, there's this is why we can take you anywhere with ghosts and paranormal and all that i wanted to get into a little bit of the current stuff going on though and you and i had talked about the, Go ahead. Yeah. the early in the earlier stages of this how the protocols for all of this were just not in line and the checks and balances were not in line where are you at with the agenda now as it's rolled out what are you seeing? What does this look like to you? Well, I mean, now? I'm at the same. I mean, I, well, I mean, the most glaring and obvious thing for me is that all the rules and regulations that I've had to follow for the last 25 years that nobody in the FDA seems to be following now. And why is, is that? So, you know, there's a level, I mean, I'm enraged about what's going on. I, you know, I cannot all these products that are out on the marketplace, they don't have to follow any of the regulations. And I don't think anybody in the general public understands what that means. That means they don't have to follow their protocols. That means if they deviate, they don't even need to record that. Maybe they skip a test. They don't have the right starting material. They're going to swap something else in there. They can do basically whatever they please under this emergency use authorization. And it is complete BS. Complete. And I think that they need to be held accountable. I think they're all criminals. And I think that anybody that's working for these organizations, if they are not able to take a step back, I mean, I have spent 25 years of my life following GMPs, the good manufacturing practices. I would never, ever put a product into my body that wasn't manufactured under GMP nor would I ever recommend anyone take this kind of risk. It is not worth it. It means there is no consistency across the manufacturing platform. So from one lot to the next, you could be getting a completely different product. And that's what frightens me. And I'm not so sure that all of these different products with different manufacturers aren't targeting something specific in and of themselves on their own. Yes. So I think this is extremely nefarious. I think what they're doing, 
all of them need to be held accountable. I mean, all of them. And I mean, from the executive level up, directors, senior directors, executive directors, VPs, senior VPs, all of them. They all need to be held accountable because all of them are complicit. And any quality person that is promoting this or are participating in this really needs to take a good look at one because they should not have they should not have quality in their title. No way. Quality people are there. I'll tell you why quality people are in industry. And this is a, this is a true fact. And it's, um, it's embarrassing. It's because manufacturing can't do their job correctly. So you need a second and third set of eyes on all of the documentation, on the equipment, the processes, the calibration, the maintenance, you name it to double check and triple check to make sure that it was done properly in the first place. Now, if people came into the arena with some fucking dirty, I wouldn't have a job. Period, end of story. Yeah. So we quality people are, we, we are there. Some quality people act like the cops, you know, you're, you know, other quality people are there to be of service. You know, we want to help you do the right thing because the, a real bona fide quality person always puts patient safety above all else. Yes. It's about the patient. That's it. And bottom line. So when, so this leads to you had come back because you thought, well, because of all the issues with PayPal and the fuckery going on, and then they were starting to 5G out India. And then you decide to, in, you're, in, you're in Mexico now. And um, what is your reasoning for being there? Like, why does that look like the spot for you to, to ride out what's happening right now? Well, it happened to be close to California. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, I, you know, I didn't fall in love with Acapulco when I came to Acapulco in 2019. In fact, I didn't really see any of Acapulco. I mean, I was inside the Princess Hotel yeah. the entire time for the conference. But uh, I just said, well, shit, if I'm going to go anywhere in the world, this is close. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully uh, there'll be some other people around. And it's been a real bumpy road. You know, it, this is, it's not... Um, it, it, you know, it has its own challenges similar to India, but also very different. So, you know, I came into it, I don't know any Spanish, which is really embarrassing because I grew up in San Jose, California around, you know, Mexicans my entire life, yeah. but I've been picking it up, you know, here and there, but um, there's definitely, um, and I think I would just feel this anywhere. There's, you know, there's a difference in, in, in interactions with people, you know, people are scared. It's obvious. And especially what people, are people scared of down there? Um, well, recently, um, very close to where I, where I reside, we had a series of, of, of deaths from people who were in an older age range, um, that were clearly experiencing after effects of an experimental product. So we had cardiac arrests and we had um, a lot of strokes, which took out, I think, 15 people in my neighborhood over the course of a couple of months. And that was um, very frightening. Yes. Very frightening because, you know, a lot of the people that 
that, that I'm surrounded with are not very educated. They're working, you know, they're, they, they call themselves workers, you know, they're poor, they're poor people. And so they default to what they read in the paper, what they see on the television and, and a conversation with them, especially from my perspective can be quite challenging because they all want to know, number one, did you have it? And number two, well, why not? And then when I give them my why not, their eyes get really big and they start to think for the first time. And, you know, and also too, there's just because of, of the people in the place, and I think the same could be said about South America, there is already a mistrust of government here yes. in a way that you don't see in the West. So, yeah, so there's a lot of rebellious spirit. Like I've been following what's been happening in, <clears throat> in UP, in Uttar Pradesh, in India, because that's my state. And, you know, basically watching these guys say like, you know, no, we're not going to do this. And yeah, we're going to take this, you know, we're going to take our own, we're going to go our own route. And they've eliminated, you know, deeper it is that, that everybody thinks is killing everybody. Well, it's pretty clear. I don't, uh, I put a, um, a very, very short clip up on my uh, Odyssey channel and I haven't been uploading to that very, very regularly, but I did see about a five minute presentation that came through. It was out of an eight hour video on YouTube, which was September, September 17th. Um, FDA Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, CBER, who I've had a lot of experience with, they did a public advisory meeting. And there was this guy that came on and did a risk benefit ratio on um, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And um, I mean, if you eat, all you have to do is look in bears. Right, so the data is out there. I don't trust bears anyway because it's for, throughout my time in industry, everyone knows that. You know, you're lucky if one to ten percent of the people. It doesn't represent. Most people do not want to report an injury. Most people are embarrassed. Most people don't want to sit through the process. It takes a very long time to get through that reporting process. You have to be quite committed to get through it. Yeah, but that's why I keep hearing. Yeah, so it's it's a real pain in the butt, and then it's it's you know, I I've 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 reported um, through the MedWatch, and it takes it's 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 almost it's irritating, but you know if you look at the actual data, and the speaker was quite clear saying why you know this is an elephant in the room. I can't you know how can we even possibly have a conversation about something that starts with the letter B. Um, when when we have data right here in front of us it says you know for every one life we save we lose five how is this possible yeah this is a fucking tragedy why why are why isn't why isn't somebody stopping this and this is amongst yeah. the bitten exactly but this is during this is during a, an fda public advisory meeting it's hosted by the Center for Biologics <laughs> Evaluation Research. I'm like, holy shit. Was that the you know? Steve like, Kirsch's report? I think it was, yeah. 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 I, I was like, I, 
I, I, I just want to know what, you know, they stopped the swine flu stuff with what, 25 deaths? Exactly. What's, H1N1. Right. What's they, the threshold yeah, of death hold. here that's acceptable? Apparently it's... <laughs> Millions. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, no, it's, 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 it's mind boggling. It's absolutely mind boggling. And then you try and have a conversation with someone about it and it's just like the walls come down and it's like wait a second look at what you, this is data you know this is the thing that you know we've lost science we've lost true evidence-based science and now people you know what what they believe is science is just junk and garbage and falsification and opinion and you know, and a, a lot of these peer-reviewed journal articles, if you actually take the time to sit down and read them, you know, the editorial at the beginning and the conclusion, if they're, they're all a bunch of BS too. It's just, oh, you know, like I got a bunch of my friends who are going to oh, give me the stamp of approval for writing a bad article, and then we're going to call it science. It's just, <laughs> I know. You just nailed like, it. What? Are you kidding me? And then, of course, as soon as I say something like that, then, you know, of course, everybody lights into me. Oh, well, when, you know, when did you become a doctor? Oh, I didn't know you had a PhD. Oh, look who, oh, hello, Miss Smarty Pants, you know? And I'm like, screw you, you know? I mean, it's, it, 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 the thing is, is that somehow along the line, the powers that shouldn't be convinced a lot of people that aren't dumb, that they're dumb. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that intelligent that I can still look at this stuff and I can read it. And it's like, it's just like when I started reading Krishnamurti, you just go line by line by line. You have your dictionary, you see a word you don't know, you look it up, you know, and you piece it together. And people do not have attention spans. They don't have the patience. And that's all it really yep. takes. It's really not that complicated. No. You know, no. and and you know, the the other thing was when did when did James Corbett come out with the, his series on Rockefeller Medicine? When was that? 2019, 2018? Yeah, it was two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah, because when I saw that, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, how come I didn't know that? And that was like one of the biggest eye openers for me. And I thought, holy crap, I'm working for the Rockefellers, you know, like I got to get out of this. I got to, you know, I can't do this. This is, this is not what I, I came here to do. It was 2013 and, actually. Oh man, that was good. I don't, I don't think I saw it when it came out, but I saw it later and I was, I think also too, because I, you know, I had kind of distanced myself from that, the Western model. I didn't really just, I didn't pay attention to it. And when I look around and I see the people that I went to school with, what I went to high school with, that I went to, you know, elementary school with, and I see the amount of prescriptions they're on and what they look like physically, I mean, it's devastating. And I haven't, you know, I, my lifestyle hasn't been, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna by any way, shape or form, but you know, these, 
these people that are the same age as me, they look 20 years older than me. It's unfreaking believable. And they're like on one prescription, two prescriptions, three prescriptions, four prescriptions. Well, I have this issue. And so I got to do this and, you know, oh, well, let's just get dominoes, you know, and oh, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, got to have my, it's short, you know, it's wine time. Got to have my Chardonnay and my chocolate. I'm <laughs> And I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but it's kind of like, wow, you know, you do that. You put your body through that for 30 to 40 years. You know, what do you expect is going to happen? You know, the thing is, is that when I got sick, when I was 24 years old, when I got sick, I didn't realize how sick I was until I started to get well. And I was like, wow, yes, yes. I have not felt well my entire life. And so when they talk about these comorbidities, a lot of these people, they have never known what it feels like to be well. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And I've tried to talk about this and it's, it's hard to describe it to people that have just lived with it and covered it and done what, done what the system tells them to do. And the system set up and designed to do this, obviously, or it wouldn't be doing this. And uh, when people finally get clean of all of it, that's when this realization happens. It happened with me too. I had no idea. I was like, I felt that bad. I was living with that much funk and nastiness. And then mm-hmm. once I got clean, it was like, holy shit, how, how did I get by for 10 years? I was just so over overwhelmed by that little bit of satori and how long it took me to get out of the the programming well you know and the miracle of all of it is the human body itself because look you know you can put yourself through years and years and years of toxic living you know physically spiritually emotionally you name it and then you can make a choice to do something differently and watch the body bounce back it's miraculous i mean it will heal. And that is the thing. There was was a quote that Bill Gates said, it made me so freaking angry. Something about how, you know, they were working, they were creating medicine, you know, to do the healing that the body couldn't do for itself. And I thought, you fucker, you know, the body, the body is designed to heal. You know, it is self-healing. You give it the proper nutrition, the rest, the proper all those things that it needs and you know and you can watch you can turn your life around in a relatively short amount of time i mean look at people who've dealt with hardcore addiction for for most of their lives and you know a year a year into recovery they're like a completely different person are they doing things perfectly no but that's not the point you know you stop putting the poison in or you limit the poison and you want you know miracles start to happen Absolutely. But the thing is, is that, you know, we, we are so trusting and, you know, my mom's a great example of it. I remember her saying to me, oh, Jennifer, the government just wants what's best for you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I knew so, something was super, I, yeah, I was, like, so I was like in the sixth grade and I'm like, what are, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What, what, what? Well, yeah. And my dad was always like, well, you know, I just want to have a family like the one and leave it to Beaver. And I'm like, stop watching television. What's wrong with you people? I'm like 11, you know, and I'm like going in there and unplugging the TV. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, I, 
it was pretty recent that I looked up, you know, Kellogg and the whole thing about breakfast cereal. And I'm like, holy crap, they're trying yes. to kill people. Yes. It's, you know? it's really well, scary when you start <laughs> digging into all this. And it's, it's everywhere. It's basically like they took, it's like they took the food pyramid and inverted it turned it upside down and said okay see all the stuff out at the top that's the stuff you shouldn't be eating and all that stuff at the bottom you know the whole thing about fat oh my goodness i mean your brain can't function without fat yeah this is well and this is another clue that this is an inverse reality and it, it we see the signs of it everywhere i mean how obvious does it have to be that this is this is some sort of inversion we're going through right now and we've been going through it yeah. for quite a while but i do think that we may not have been aware when we actually slipped into the inversion People have timelines and all that. 2012. Yeah, I mean that's a that's as good as any any other option. I believe I I think 2001, but 2012 was a was a significant year for sure. But we are this is this isn't healthy here is not actually healthy, and um, the health system is a death system, and. Uh, you know, freedom oh, yeah. here, the, the ideas of freedom here, are actually slavery. I mean, everything around here is just reversed. <laughs> you, uh, I, I wrote down this quote. Um, are you familiar with uh, Harold Kautz? Yes. Harold Kautz Vella. A-L-D. <clears throat> Kautz Vella. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, he, he said this quote. I had to write it down. He said, I never go to doctors. I'm not suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I listened. I actually listened to a very interesting interview with him and Ole Damagard mm -hmm. um, on Age of Truth. And, and Harold was, he was describing working with some of these patients and seeing actually on an energetic level, seeing their soul as outside of their body as de detaching mm. from the, the physical vessel. And it was quite fascinating yes. to hear him speak about this because, you know, that is exactly what Rudolf Steiner warned us about. And, and here we are, and, and some people are, are seeing it in their work. Have you listened to his work on the black goo and stuff like that? No, but I'm familiar with Black Goo from, uh, I was with George Cavasilis' community for a oh, couple of years. Cool. So George, George is cool. A lot yeah. about Black Goo. And yeah, George is really cool. Yeah. And then also, too, um, what was it that, uh, that media uh, photograph of, uh, of uh, Ms. Tungberg? With the with the yeah, with the black, or the black goo, oil yeah. dripping all down. I think it was yeah. oil. I think and it was everybody's oil. Everybody's like the black goo. It of course it's yeah. there's it's supposed so, yeah, to be no, oil, but it is black goo. I mean that's what we're looking at. That's what oil is. Right, it's sentient. It, it's the blood in some it's ways. The blood of the earth. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, you know, I've got a, a friend. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, girl, it's my okay. Uh, wait, we my dear. about black goo and everything. Hello. Crap. No, yeah. every, everyone paused at the same time to let each other talk. That's what happened. 
Well, you know, and it just, I have a, I have a friend here in Acapulco who's watching, uh, she's started watching the X-Files from the very beginning all the way through to the end, right? So it just reminds me of an X-Files episode with, you know, the, the black, the eyeballs going black and, you know, the black goo and the, yeah, I'm just like, wow. Oh, they and I hadn't out. seen the last two. Yeah, they did. And I hadn't seen the last two seasons until um, just this year. The, I didn't enjoy the last two seasons as much as I did all the early stuff, but it doesn't matter. They were blazing this way back when. And uh, this is why I think it was so popular and gained such a standing in the underground world, especially because they really just laid out some narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. a, a big reason for that is so when years later it comes back as a conspiracy theory, they, quote unquote, they can point back and go, oh, you're just repeating the storyline from X-Files or this, you know, it's always, you heard that here. Yes. Well, and that's part of this, this uh, whole loop thing we're in as well. (laughs) And I'm noticing a lot of that, Jerry, with everything, like as these people are bringing forward movies I have never heard of in my entire life. That are now all of a sudden they're like, well, look, this was all light in there, laid down. I'm a cinema person, and film was a big deal in my life. I know, and these new movies you never heard of that just came out. Like I just found (laughs) out they. Do you know they remade? They remade Poltergeist. No. Yes. (laughs) There's a Poltergeist remake. It came out in like 2015. You're kidding me. This is this is the stuff, and and this is why I do believe that. We had that big shift. People can argue on the time, but I do believe that once that shift happened, and I call that the singularity, uh, it, it changed everything. And it's now it's a kind of a conscious flowing thing. And so in a different way. And the thing is now we're all aware that history, I think most people at least are questioning things, are really looking at, well, what about our historical record? What there can we trust and then as people are digging into these narratives they're like wait this isn't what i remember learning in school or in college and and this is why some of these narratives are coming under more scrutiny now and they should hello I had, I had nothing to follow that up with. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just like saying that. I say it to my bird all the time. She almost says it now. Um, but that's what I'm saying. And that there's so much strangeness going on. And so Jennifer, with you down, this is almost like boots on the ground. Are you noticing what kind of uh, stuff goes on where you are as far as supplies and stuff? Is there, you haven't been down there long enough to get a, a real feel for how things could change but are there things you can't get that the locals know they used to be able to get is there anything are you seeing anything like that well what i am noticing is um in some of the in some of the major chain stores what's been going on over the last year is a very incremental increase in price so they're the prices are coming up, but at a very, very slow pace. So for instance, um, there's, there's one brand of milk that I like. And at the beginning of the year, when I first arrived, it was around 24 pesos. And 
it's about 20 pesos to the dollar. So that's a liter. And now it's up to 37. So it's just been slowly climbing over time. But one of the things that's really beautiful about where I live is that, uh, is that there is so much local, people are growing. My neighbors across the street have 20 chickens. They've got an incubator full of eggs. Um, there's a woman down in front of my market, two minutes from my house, and she's got, you know, fresh chickens hanging up and she'll cut it up in any way, shape or form you want it. There's local produce, there's tomatoes, peppers, um, zucchini, uh, squash just came into season. Or you can go to the fancy store, put on a mat, temperature taken, and you can get things like blueberries and raspberries and stuff like that. Now you're going to pay a little bit more for all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that, you know, local cheeses, things like that, there's still, when I heard the stories about, um, you know, the, the government going door to door in the UK and um, exterminating people's chickens, the people that were keeping chickens, like that would just not fly here. It would, I mean, people would pull out their machetes and they would start growing bananas. So they have been, you know, they have been sustainable pretty much on their own, you know, due to the level of, of poverty here. So in terms of like food shortages and things like that, um, they really, there have to be a very serious effort. And that's why I think that, you know, a lot of what we're seeing, if you look at the, you know, the proposed map for, you know, what they want 2030 to look like, you see Canada, United States, and all of South America is one territory, right? So they're not going to focus on us right now because there'd be no point, right? There'd be way too much rebellion. In fact, there's actually a part of town, if I get onto the main road here, and I start traveling south, reach a point in the road where you've got a couple, you've got a handful of local guys with AR-15s and politicians and police are not allowed to enter that part of the city. So they work for tips. So when the collectivos and the shared taxis come through, we tip these people because these are territories or parts of the of it's not Acapulco it's outside of Acapulco where they just do not allow politicians or police of any kind government officials are not welcome in this part of the city and so you know there are several anarchist communities Mexican communities not expat that are fully you know they basically ran the police out of town and they're self-governing so there's a strong rebellious sense here, like there is in India, where a lot of these people are like, we've been doing this for hundreds of years, we're not going to change, especially when they start to see through the narrative. Very rare for me to see a mask where I live. Uh, you just took you know, that right out of my head. I was wondering about the masking alone. That's kind of a good barometer to see where people stand. Well, if I get... Yeah, if I get into a shared taxi and I head into downtown Acapulco and we've got a bunch of tourists from Mexico City, blah, 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 you're going to see masks everywhere. But here where I am, which, you know, is not touristic at all, um, you know, you see a couple here and there, you know, there are some people that are, you know, still legitimately afraid 
that, you know, they're going to get sick and they think that, you know, their mask is actually protecting them, which it's not. We all know that. You haven't figured that out by now. I don't know what kind of rock you've been living under, but <laughs> the Fauci um, rock. <laughs> yeah. The CNN the rock. Fauci rock. CNN I mean, rock. The CNN <laughs> rock. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. Of real science. <laughs> 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 who was it that was it washington post today the article that uh don't uh don't do your own research oh my god yeah. i saw that yeah. can yeah. you believe how they live can this get i mean that's what i'm saying this is so absurd they live that's how they live what did i say Jerry? you live oh yeah see i can't even say it properly uh i but honestly though how absurd can this get how absolutely absurd can this get it's unbelievable to me that the messaging can be that clear and just straight in our faces and well exactly and then if you look at the list i mean i i don't know if it's a legitimate list i just see posts on telegram but you know apparently there's lists going around of people that are have exemptions um you know like like people that work for the fda and people that work for the cdc and people that work for moderna and people that work for pfizer well, well why why are they exempt and the rest of the world is what how can you not look at something like that and go what the what the f you know i i've been trying to talk about the exemptions and the high level people that are exempt from all that. And you would be surprised at how much mud people throw at me over that. I have been, I'm, and I always ask when someone wants to critique me, I actually, I don't get angry or anything. I just ask, how did they get there? You know, like, where's your logic? And uh, it's amazing. Like everything I talk about and some of the deep, deep woo, and I'll post something like that. Like the people exempt from the mass, you know, the gate, all the government workers, the right. Pfizer people, the Gates people, all, Google plays. And I, that's what will get mudslings for me. It amazes me. It, it absolutely amazes me. Well, you know, one of the things that the general public doesn't, is not aware of, and you wouldn't be aware of it unless you actually worked in the industry, is that the majority of the people in senior management and above so senior managers and then the more executive levels a lot of these people they don't participate in any of this meaning they don't get flu shots they don't get other injections they don't do it to their children they don't allow their children access or they they have you know controlled access to electronic devices So that doesn't get out to the general public. So it's like, okay, you know, (laughs) you're like, I was working with this one woman that who'd been in equality for 35 years, you know, and I made some comment to her and she just looked almost aghast at me and said, are you crazy? I don't take any of this allopathic stuff. I always go to acupuncture. This stuff is poison. Oh, (laughs) that's good. Rock on. (laughs) yeah but but that doesn't trickle down to the lower levels no of course not when you're dealing with high level propaganda at the highest level of social psychological uh mind control through trauma it's it takes a very strong person to stand up and say wait a minute what 
And that act alone is actually radical. And then when you're talking about everyone around you is following the script and you're the one that says something's not right here, it's hard for people to break that spell. People like us, Jennifer, that have always been outsiders and rebels and all this, you know, we're, we're kind of used to this and uh, it doesn't affect us. It's easy, our type questions more, but there are a lot of people that just go along to get along and, and that's all right until we get to times like this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've mentioned my mom a couple of times, bless her heart, but you know, she, the last time I saw her was in 2017 when I was getting ready to move back up to the Pacific Northwest. And she was dealing with such a horrific candida overgrowth situation that it was literally coming out of her ears and she started having chronic nosebleeds. Yeah. And of course she didn't, she, I knew exactly what was going on with her. And I, I said, mom, look, you know, you've got to deal with this. And anyway, um, and all you, I mean, I, I did 10 minutes of research and realized that those nosebleeds were, you know, related to the, to the fungal overgrowth that she was experiencing internally. So what did she do? She went into Kaiser and she allowed them to go, go up into her nasal cavity and cauterize the inside of her nose and I was it was heartbreaking to me because I just thought you know that the function of you know candida is in our body so that when we do pass on it breaks it down is basically it's to decompose a dead body yeah you've got these living people walking around in a state of decomposition and they're not even dead yet yes when the mycoplasma and all that yeah Yes. It, yeah. All the Linda Emanuel stuff. Oh my God. It's, yes. you know, she was so right on with her research. Yeah. And people don't realize it. And, and it's easy enough to actually change. I had, when I first, I got diagnosed with candida. I remember my um, dry blood specialist, he said, we're going to deal with this candida overload in your system first. And then we're going to look at why do you have fecal matter in your bloodstream? And I was like, what? <laughs> What was this? And you know, it's tied to leaky oh, gut, man. leaky gut, right? And um, you know, we got it all under control, but the candida was out of control. And that was my first wake up to what even candida was. I didn't even understand it. And right. uh, you know, it's just so amazing when people actually give you an answer to some of the stuff you're going through that you don't understand and you see a pathway to to wellness and you follow it and you get there and you're like whoa Uh, because the allopathic system that's right when I was kind of breaking away from it they weren't even mentioning candida at all no mention of it and it changed my life getting rid of candy getting it in control and in balance getting it back into balance Yeah. yeah well and that's you know, and that's another interesting thing about um, both India and Mexico is that people here routinely cleanse for parasites. Right, everywhere so in the world common. it seems like, but here, Jennifer, it's not bizarre. It's totally bizarre. It's like, well, of course you're full of worms. Don't you know? People are like, oh, you're crazy, and it's like, no, you're full of worms. Yes. <laughs> um, and other stuff that's really, really ugly and gross. Like, if you have you ever looked at your own poop? I mean, that's one of the things like, girl, 
that I learned. Yeah, I know. But Get I the fork out. No, when I went to India, it's like, you know, back in 2001, good luck finding a roll of toilet paper, sweetheart. Like you're wiping with your hand. And if you're not comfortable looking at your own poop, then, you know, you better get on a plane and go back home. And you actually, I I started to learn a lot about the state of my health by what my poop looked like. And, you know, it's really quite fascinating, actually. And, And, you know, I... And now that I have, you know, cats, I look at their poop. Yep. I look at everything's poop around me because it does tell you what's going on. I know what different, I know liver flukes look like, you know, you start to recognize all the stuff you, and you recognize consistency and uh, all this people need to understand that this is a part of your natural system and it will give you a real insight into what is going on in your insides. It's, it's, I mean, if you could change a baby's diaper, if you can pick up after your dog, you can look at your own damn poop. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah it's really, yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, and it's actually really fascinating. You know, the more, the more, the more I began to learn about how my body functions, the, the more excited I got about life, you know, and I think I talked about this on the cosmic salon that in 2012, I went through this, um, nutritional recovery system where I, you know, I did all these dietary supplements. Anyway, I worked with a nutritionist and I kept a food mood, food mood journal. And I started to really be, learn how to connect the dots that when there, there were certain things that I was eating that were really making me miserable. Yeah. And when I started to eliminate those, and of course I craved them like crazy, not well, knowing why. It. And you know now why? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because you know the yeast, you know, loved it. But because once it I controls you, it it puts mm-hmm. out electromagnetic signals to tell you feed me, see more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you know just by making a couple of little basic tweaks in in my diet, you know, I mean I got I. I had lifelong allergies before I went on um, the candida diet. And now I'm back on dairy. I can eat pretty much whatever I want. But before that, wow. I mean, I just had, I mean, I was, I was allergy queen and I would get seasonal allergies. I had, I was allergic to cats and dogs, every animal, dirt, you name it. I was allergic to it. And, you know, I did that one year cleansing process and got my gut flora back into balance and I stopped having allergies. It's amazing The it's, it's, it's revolutionary when you don't know how to do this. And then when you finally start taking the power back and right. uh, it, it, it's, it's really empowering people to understand it. And when you get past the toxic runoff of any kinds of cleanse, when you start getting your body into a state of balance, the things that, so if you're in a state of balance and you've dealt with some of these core issues that created all the different stuff that comes with different things, and uh, you can, you can go back to eating things that when you were out of balance would just trigger really bad inflammation. When you're in balance, you can, you can cheat a little, so to speak, right? You can yeah. have, when I'm in balance, I can have, I can have some breads and I can have stuff that are absolutely terrible when I'm having a thyroid flare up, for example, that's when those kinds of things will just, I wake up and I've got like balloon head 
you know, and well, that's, you know, and that's from the, the yeast because Hashimoto's is like celiacs, you know, they're so intertwined. And so, and I know I can tell, so I'll have a pasta or something. And the next day I'll have this just, you know, I look like the moon. She looks like the moon. And, uh, and I know that I'm out of balance because if I can't have that pasta without having my face swell up, then I'm out of balance. And that's when I need to put myself in check. And that's when I get into the check. So it's these little cues all along. Jerry. I was going to say this thing I've been having lately is when I eat rice, I start to sneeze. Interesting. That Jerry, that's for, isn't how new is that? I just noticed it over the last year. That's interesting. And is it white rice or is it brown rice? Is it does it matter? Doesn't matter. I notice it like if I go get sushi, you know, twenty minutes, thirty minutes after I eat, I'll just sneeze, get runny nose. I'm so suspicious of rice these days. I actually test it. I, I burn some to see if it's not plastic because haven't we all heard about that? I have encountered plastic rice. <laughs> That's awful. I totally, I videotaped it. I encountered plastic rice. And I, after I heard that, so I started testing because sometimes I would buy not the best brands and, and so, and I buy in bulk and, uh, one I took, I took back and they took it back. Like there was some sort of recall, so they weren't going to tell you, but when I took it back, it was a situation. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right here in Pacific Northwest child. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of information coming out too about um, genetic engineering of plants, where they're inserting these new experimental products, vaccines, into into tomatoes yep. in bare bare Mexico City and in and other lettuce. Places. And you see, where is it? You see Riverside. There's a whole team down there. And I mean, I I looked. I looked up their website and I looked at that guy. I was going to send him something really nasty in the mail. And I was like, leave it alone, Jennifer. Oh, but, I love you, know, you with that like, fire. Well, who are you, God? <laughs> like, who do you, who do you think you are? Like, what are you doing? Leave the plants alone. Like what, what is wrong? What, what are people thinking? You know, <laughs> I mean, really we're, we're, we've got this manufactured climate crisis going on and, and people are, what are you doing to the plants? You know, like, how do you, how can you possibly think this is helpful? I don't know. I don't, you know, this, uh, one of the things I've been kind of talking about this as much as I can right now, because I'm noticing it. And because it was such a hard year where I live to get tomatoes, the last couple of years have been hard for some of those things that need long summers and corn and tomatoes have been a struggle. So I've been having to buy tomatoes at the market and I've had some homegrown ones, but not very many and not enough because I love me a tomato. So buying the organic tomatoes at the market, all of a sudden they started to taste really bland and we're in tomato season, it was the summer. Uh, they started to taste really bland and I would set them in the window and let them get some sun and all this. And then I started to notice they were aging weird. Not like all my natural tomatoes, they started to be all, they look perfect and they just have black pin spots of blackness that would maybe grow out and look kind of black and red polka dotted. Now my, and no, no liquid or anything the way normal tomatoes 
decompose. And I thought, oh, this, I'm not doing it again. And then I started to notice the lettuce and I have not had a great lettuce experience recently. And I know that's ridiculous because lettuce is easy to grow, but I'm having trouble with it right now. Uh, lettuce has been slimy. I've been washing it. And then I got to those articles where they're like, get your vaccine in a salad. So now I literally won't buy tomatoes or lettuce at all at a market unless I know the source. Yeah, but what does that slimy lettuce look like in your poop? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, all those all those parasites are slip sliding in a way. <laughs> that's it. Right. I, but I'm just saying I'm starting to be very untrustworthy, un, or untrustworthy, that's hilarious, uh, uh, untrustful of what's being sold to us at the markets. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there's good reason. There's good reason to be cautious, right? I mean, that's uh, my girlfriend and I, we, you know, we've been, we've been shopping primarily at our local markets that we know that's, it, you know, it's produce that's grown locally. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that the people here are so poor, they don't bother using pesticides, but there's a huge difference between the produce that, you know, we buy in a, in a big name marketplace like Walmart versus, you know, something from down the road. And also this produce that you buy in places like Walmart, it seems to last forever. If you can leave it in your refrigerator, yes. it stays good for like two months. Whereas this other stuff, you know, if you don't eat those tomatoes within two days, they start going, they can start going funky. That should be one of your clues that you got a good tomato. <laughs> if it's going downhill fast, yeah. that thing's natural. Yeah. You know, this is one right. of the well, things you know. that's freaking me out in general about produce. And girl, even tortillas these days that are coming from the tortilla factories and stuff. Now, I love me a homemade tortilla and I will make homemade tortillas if I'm in the mood. But otherwise, I will just buy them. And I, I like my corn ones. And I know that's not great, but whatever. It's, it's uh, better I'm, than flour. I don't do flour. I really try to avoid that because of it's just hard on me. Flour but, tortillas are the devil unless they're homemade child they're so good oh my god new mexico and homemade flour tortillas anyway that's a flashback uh they're they're not aging they are not aging what is going on when i used to live in uh pilsen in chicago and i would get from the the tortilla factories over there you you could get a week you know before you'd start seeing some real hairy looking ends and stuff and that that seemed normal to buy some tortillas you open them and that you know they last you a week now i've had a set of tortillas in my refrigerator for three months this is an experiment and they are they look exactly <laughs> like they did the day i bought them that's not come on now that's not natural no no it's not <laughs> that's just not natural and i i'm like uh, you know, you try to tell yourself that this is, this isn't natural, but for people don't, that don't understand that this stuff is food, it's organic and it should break down. It should break down. And yeah. if it's not breaking down, then what are you looking at? But people aren't thinking like that. They're not thinking critically about this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I just, uh, um, I've been feeding my cats a variety of different stuff. Sometimes I feed them 
raw meat, raw chicken, raw beef. Sometimes I feed them, you know, off the shelf cat food. Um, and lately I've been picking up a, a can of tuna here and there. Well, there happened to be these really cheap cans of tuna. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And they love it because it's got the water. You know, I get the one that's the tuna in water. And I give them a couple of spoons in their bowl and they go crazy. You know, they love it. Well, I, for whatever reason, today I picked up the can and I read the ingredients and this can of tuna actually doesn't have any tuna in it. It's all soy. And I was like, oh shit. Oh my God. <laughs> and I remember reading, I know, I remember reading somewhere that somebody, somebody had taken a Subway tuna sandwich and analyzed it and there was no actual tuna in it. Um, and then my girlfriend that went here in Mexico in Alcoba that went shopping today, she went and looked at a ham and right there on the ingredient list was soy. And it was just kind of like, wow, they, they, they are just jacking up the food supply. Like you wouldn't believe, like, I mean, if there's somebody out there that doesn't understand how dangerous soy is, um, oh God, it's, it's, terrible. it's not no bueno. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's no bueno. And I mean, I don't even want to, I'm not going to, I'm obviously not going to even feed it to my cat, let alone eat it myself. But, well, um, right, yeah. You know, I put, I've <laughs> tested, I, I, nothing goes to waste here. And so the, anim, the different varied animals around here get picked through things and um, including like the, uh, the scavengers, like the sweet little possums and stuff like that. And when something gets put out and nobody eats it, I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Because if the scavengers right. that eat anything won't eat it, you know, something's wrong. I've had canned corn that they, no one will touch but I've grown, you know, had natural corn and they'll eat it up. And so the crows won't take the canned corn. I'm like, what is going on with the canned corn? Crows love corn. Hello, scarecrows. Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> There's, well, this I mean, is what people aren't understanding though. Yeah. I'm saying Jennifer is that at what point is it is I mean, it's like we're being told, and Jerry brought this up earlier with the the whole the article about doing your research is I can't remember the name of that one. Uh, the Washington Post. Don't yeah, do your okay. own research. Don't do your own research. And when you start just looking at this stuff critically, out of curiosity, if nothing else, nobody's thinking critically anymore. They're just they're just consuming and. And no one wants to look deeper into, well, what is this food color? What's in this food coloring? And, and then like, why this is tuna, but there's no tuna in it and, and still continue to eat it. Right. And still continue to buy it. This is what I'm saying. What is going on with the level of critical thinking in the masses? It, I guess this is well, the result of all that poison food and everything else. It was actually Forbes. We take all that back. Hello. Hello. The article is in Forbes, not uh, the Post. Which is still same system, but <clears throat> oh, yeah. you know, but same system that everyone reads and respects, right? Allegedly. So I don't know. I, um, I'm wondering though, Jerry, do you have questions out there? Hi, out there to everybody. No, I've been asking them as I go along. Well. 
we are at two hours. I so. know. I know that went so fast. Thank well, you. We could. I know we could have Jenna. We should need to have Jennifer on just to do a Mexico uh, update. <laughs> no, not even a Mexico update. Like a supernatural dreams, paranoia, woo show. We should do a next month with her. We sure. could do that, but yeah. all, that actually that is a good format for getting into all that because you have all that good material. Sure, I would love that. So, how yeah. do people find you, Miss Jennifer the Bruce? Is JJ calls you? Well, <laughs> um, I'm on uh, I'm on Telegram and I'm on Instagram at the moment. And I have regular email, um, and that's about it. I'm I'm flying pretty low and under the radar these days. So um, I'll definitely my handle on Telegram is the underscore real underscore sunrise ruby, and it's my full name Jennifer McKenzie Bruce. And uh, did I say Telegram or? I don't know. You've got Instagram. Odyssey too. I'll send you. Oh yeah, I do. I have my Odyssey channel. I'm just Jennifer Bruce on the Odyssey. I mean, you can pretty much figure it out. It's the. Your um, Instagram is awesome. I've I've long okay. loved your Instagram. If you love color and fabulousness, her Instagram delivers. <laughs> and I've got links to your Telegram and your library Odyssey oh, awesome. in the yeah. show notes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's great. And I do, I love taking photographs. I love photographing people and I've got great photos from India and just amazing stories. And I'm trying to get more back into, I'm going to set up a, a WordPress site. A friend of mine's going to help me with, and it's just going to be images and stories. Um, I'm not going to get into any of this, you know, current events. I'm just over it. I'm, I'm, I don't care. I just want to focus on creativity and appreciating, you know, what I have right now today. And of course, you know, taking loads of pictures of my kitty cats. <laughs> yes. Well, so that's that, the thing about really... your Instagram is it is like a million stories and it's colorful with great photography and you take people on a journey and your Instagram does feel like a break from the world of craziness around us. It always has. Oh, it, you know, it is for me too. And, 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 I, and I, you know, leaving, leaving Facebook was, you know, was kind of a relief actually, but I, I do love, I do love the IG for just to see the images and, and just to, it's, it's a different way of knowing people, you know, it's, it's one thing to just read, read a post, but to actually have a visual to go with it is really, that's, uh, that's the, that's the juice for me. Yeah, me too. I've not been on Facebook in years, but I love Instagram and I don't get political at all on my Instagram. I keep it mysterious yeah. and, and kind of witchy over there. Yeah, yeah, you do. Kind of witchy. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. I don't go on Instagram. I'm only on Twitter. Yes. <clears throat> well, one one side of the one and that's the other hand jerry i'm so. slowly reverting to a luddite so where <laughs> everybody's going back to myspace i hear i'm hearing a myspace revival okay. for real yeah well facebook and instagram me too well you know it was fun i i loved myspace and now looking back i mean i can see why there's a revival happening because guess what guys it's vintage <laughs> It is at this point. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that hilarious? 
So Jennifer, this was a great pleasure. You know, I love you. I adore you. I'm so glad you're in the world. You can talk woo. You can talk politics. You can talk fae and ghosts. And you are a great storyteller. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you all. Thanks, Gary. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back on next week. I think we're coming back next week. We're hard hitting, Jerry. Check the calendar. Every, I got, every, I got shit week. booked up all the way into November, so. Uh, yep, next week um, with um, Corinne Wilson, the occult priestess. Priestess. Oh, okay. Hey. Hey. That'll be fun. Doing all this, female uh, October. All female October. Not Excellent, really. Not ladies. Really. So I got well. The week after that, we have a guy. No, it's JJ. So it's yeah, it's all female October. Oh wait, oh yay, Miss JJ is gonna be on. <laughs> Everybody loves JJ. So thank you, everyone out there in in the chat, and who will come to these words later. We appreciate it. Jerry and I have something very fun in the works. Yes, the we way. do. A new, 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 new show. <laughs> it's going to be a goodie. But it won't be on YouTube. No, we are. We're going to blow this pop stand. We're going to stay here as long as we can, but yeah, we're going to yeah. just this new show is going to not be here at all. So, yeah. All right. All right. Thank thanks. You. Thank you, everyone. Take care. We'll see you in uh, next week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.